Welcome back to the Men of Old podcast. My name is Evan, and today we are joined with uh, a John the Man Mason and uh, and Kai, as usual. But we have a guest on the on the podcast today. Uh, John is our, our close friend from uh, our Bible college at Heritage. Um, yeah, how are you two doing today? Oh, yeah, I'm doing good, John. Why did that sound so weird? Because I first remember before we were planning on who was going to begin to answer, and then I forgot it was me, and I was waiting for John. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, And John's that's how here. this episode's going to go. Pretty much. I'm doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. I uh, I just got back from British Columbia doing tree planting for the summer, and I got to listen to I got my phone automatically downloaded <laughs> after I listened to the first episode of this podcast. My phone just kept automatically downloading the episodes, and I was like, "Oh, I guess I can listen to these while I work." So I did. <laughs> nice, yeah, Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John is a faithful listener. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't live in Canada. Where is uh, BC? Where's British Columbia? Um, BC is uh, it's kind of in an interesting location. It's um, the very western part of Canada, but I was somewhat northern. You know, most people think of like Ontario as kind of like the center, which it kind of is, but it kind of isn't at the same time. Um, Ontario is actually very south, so BC. Mm-hmm. I was up pretty northwestern, realistically. Cool. Well, yeah, we're uh, we're joined again. We're back. We're getting back into the bruised read by Richard Sibbs. Um, it's a good time. We made John read the chapter six here. And John, have you been uh, have you been reading the bruised read outside of uh, this podcast or no? No, you I just jumped into. Chapter I just six. like got immediately inspired to read it because every time I was listening to it, I was like, "Holy cow, this like is really encouraging." So I actually ordered it last week, and it okay, it cool. delivered to heritage which was unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> you had to drive and get it no i got an email from one of the ladies who works there and she's like hey so three books just showed up for you and i was like oh shoot Bruh. i'm sorry about that <laughs> that's funny yeah i'd be so mad yeah anyways yeah so we're gonna jump in uh john is gonna read our the scripture passage for the book just to remind us uh what the focal point of the book is and what it's based on so yeah take it away yeah so we're reading from Isaiah 42, uh, verses 1 through 3. Um, and it's the Lord's chosen servant. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And that's uh, that's ESV, mm-hmm. uh, the eternally sanctified version. <laughs> Amen, babe. <laughs> but yeah, that's the that's a scripture passage. It's a beautiful one, mm-hmm. and uh, Kai's going to go over the the chapter title yes. and the outline. Yeah, so the, we're on chapter six now, and the title of the chapter is "Marks of the Smoking Flax," and there's only two sub headings in the chapter and one the first one is our rule is the covenant of grace and the second one is the presence of heavenly fire and yeah Mm -hmm. john you want to read the first sentence um 
Yes. Um, so Sips starts off um, by saying, we must have two eyes, uh, one to see imperfections in ourselves and others, the other to see what is good. We must not judge of ourselves always according to present feelings, word, for in temptations we shall see nothing but smoke of distrustful thoughts. Fire may be raked up in the ashes, though not seen. Life in the winter is hid in the root. Mm. Again, the master of, of imagery is back at it. and uh, <laughs> That's Sibs, not yeah, me. No, obviously. It's obviously Sibs. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I kind of wrote in here in, in our notes that uh, we, we talked about in earlier episodes. Uh, Sibs said that we must not pitch our tent of hope and trust on our sanctification rather on our justification. Uh, all the while knowing that true justification always necessarily follows true sanctification, right? If we are, uh, if we are uh, connected to the root, if we're connected to the tree, we will bear fruit. And the fruit might be uh, in more quantity at, at times. It might be better quality at some times. It might shrink. It might ebb and flow, but there will always be fruit. And uh, in times... In hard times in life, sometimes there's not a lot of fruit. Sometimes we are a faintly burning wick. We're a bruised reed. And it's times like those especially where we have to cling to these promises, right? That Christ will not break the bruised reed. And he will not quench the smoking flax um, or the faintly burning wick. Um, so we must have wise judgment of both ourselves and of others. And we must know how to judge uh, rightfully so. Yeah, do you guys have any any other thoughts before we jump in uh, a little further? Um, I think that's a, re- a very important point, just that, you know, um, he we didn't actually, like, include a specific chunk um, in the first sentence um, that we read, but he says to beware of false reasoning, and that just kind of, like, mm-hmm. is that sentence that sums up um, that we need to be able to judge rightly, as Evan was saying. Um, and I think it's just important to be reminded of, you know, when we're going through dark times and when we're dealing with um, spiritual darkness or confusion. Um, and we know what that's like, right, John? Oh, and I, yeah, and I, I can speak from experience. Like, you can't, can't, you can't judge um, your spiritual condition or even your spiritual... Um, progress um Mm -hmm. by your current state uh of weakness because you're only going to be judging with weak eyes um and if you're dealing with weak faith for example you can't judge um your sanctification because you know you're not even going to have really the strength of faith to see um properly and so you need to be patient with yourself yeah and i love that and sibs i think it was chapter one or two where he builds on, yeah, stop looking in and look to Christ. Mm-hmm. Stop looking inside and look to Christ, especially in those those weak uh, times and periods. Anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of lay a foundation here for the chapter, uh, just a little precursor. This is something that might be new to you. I know, as myself in my Christian walk, I hadn't studied too much theology until the past couple of years, and uh, Richard Sibbs 
if I'm not mistaken, was a Presbyterian brother. So he dunked babies. All right, he sprinkled babies. No. But, uh, we got to stop reading did, this yeah. book, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so he was wrong there. We, we're Baptists. We believe he was wrong. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, he was a covenant theologian. So I'm just going to lay a foundation here of covenant, the- covenant theology and uh, the Reformed view of the law and the gospel. And this will help us uh, move forward into especially our first point, our rule as the covenant of grace. So yeah, Sibs was a covenant theologian, uh, which is which means that he saw three overarching covenants in scripture. The covenant of works, which was founded in the garden. The covenant of redemption, which was founded in eternity past between the father and the son for the salvation of the elect. And the covenant of grace, which is founded with the elect for their salvation. Uh, and these three covenants are crucial to rightly understanding the plan of redemption. Uh, while Sibs was a Presbyterian, as we said, uh, I myself at least, I'm not going to speak for Kai or John, but I myself am a Reformed Baptist. Uh, so I believe uh, in these three covenants. Uh, the only difference that I would have with Sibs is that where is the covenant of grace located in Scripture? Is it simply uh, the same? Is the new covenant and the old covenant the same covenant? Which that's what the Presbyterian view is. They're both the covenant of grace. Uh, but the Reformed Baptist perspective is that only the new covenant is the covenant of grace. But anyways, so uh, putting this in a redemptive uh, scheme or view, after the garden and the fall, the covenant of works was broken. So the covenant of works was a pre-fall covenant with Adam, uh, whereby uh, God covenanted with Adam on the on the uh, condition of his perfect and perpetual obedience to God's law. And if Adam had fulfilled the terms of that covenant, if he had perfectly obeyed, he would have merited eternal life for all of, for himself and for all of his children. And uh, we see this hinted at in scripture. We see, uh, especially when he gets kicked out of the garden, the, the flaming, uh, is it the cherubim with flaming swords? Uh, kick him out and they say he needs to stay out lest he eat from the tree of life and live forever. Um, now, most people argue against this. They say, well, it's not a covenant in the garden uh, because the word covenant isn't used in Genesis 1 to 3. Um, but that's just false reasoning. It doesn't have to be used there. That's something called the uh, word concept fallacy. Where if a word's not there, that doesn't mean the concept also isn't there. But anyways, moving on top of that. So, post-fall, the covenant of works was broken. So now, nobody is saved by works. Uh, not saved. Nobody earns life by works. And we've lost all ability uh, to produce good works. So the old covenant then comes in. And this is a type of the covenant of works. It's it's uh, shown and displayed to Israel as a type of the covenant of works. Whereas on the other hand, the new covenant or the gospel is the covenant of grace. And this is the way in which all the elect have been saved throughout all of history. Uh, If you want to study more on that, go to the 1689 confession of faith. But yeah, so when we're talking about the law and the gospel, the law by and large is referring to the old covenant. 
and the gospel is referring to the new covenant. So John Cole Colhoun, I probably butchered that name, but in his book, A Treatise on the Law and the Gospel, he says, If a man cannot distinguish rightly between the law and the gospel, he cannot rightly understand so much as a single article of divine truth. If he have not spiritual and just apprehensions of the holy law, he cannot have spiritual and transforming discoveries of the glorious gospel. And, on the other hand, if his views of the gospel be wrong, his notion of the law cannot be right. But on the contrary, if they can distinguish well between the law and the gospel, they will thereby, under the illuminating influences of the Holy Spirit, be able to discern the glory of the whole scheme of redemption, to reconcile all passages of scripture which appear contrary to each other, to try doctrines whether they be of God, to calm their own consciences in seasons of mental trouble, and to advance resolutely in the evangelical holiness and spiritual consolation. That's so good, man. It, yeah, so good. And I apologize, I'm going to read another paragraph, so you guys are going to have to wait a second to jump in. But in Scripture here, we see this, right? Paul talks about this. He says in Romans 6.14 that we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. Um and that doesn't mean we're free from following the law. It means we're free from the law as a covenant of works. We do not attain righteousness through the law, but it is by faith under grace, under the covenant of grace, which is the gospel. So then he goes on to say, Colhoun, or Colcoon, I really don't know. <laughs> he says, the law in its commanding power differs much from the gospel. The law says, do this and ye shall live. Ye shall, by performing personal and per perpetual and perfect obedience, entitle yourselves to eternal life. Whereas the gospel says, live, for all is already done. All the righteousness, meritorious of eternal life for believers, is already fulfilled by the second Adam, the adorable surety. First, live in union and communion with him, and then do. Not for but from life already received. The law requires perfection from us, but offers us no supply of strength to attain it. Whereas the latter, the gospel, teaches us that we have it in Christ, and he offers it to us as an inestimable, inestimable gift of grace. End quote. So yeah, what do you guys, any any thoughts coming out of reading those two paragraphs? That was kind of long, forgive me for that, but uh, <laughs> I hope that kind of helped lay a bit of a foundation here for uh, going forward. What do you guys think? I mean, I'm always encouraged when I am reading through the Old Testament, like this whole this whole plan of God to mm. to restore us back to relationship with him once Adam had, you know, first sin was christ mm -hmm. and you know everything we see in the in the old testament the old covenant it was a it was a, a foreshadowing of the greater um the greater adam who would ultimately mm -hmm. fulfill um the requirements that uh -huh. we didn't um <laughs> did your alexa just go off yeah that, no, that my siri went off <laughs> i don't know how but siri, sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> and you know we see in like Ezekiel 16 uh, I think it's 63 where you know 
God says, I'll establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And, and he says, when I atone for you all that you have done. And it was, God always knew, you know, that covenant that he had with his people, which they couldn't hold, even hold their end up on. He, he always knew, you know, when Christ comes and atones fully, you know, we'll be all set free. Um, and it's just such, you know, even though there's so much debate and disagreement on certain er areas of, um, covenant theology, it's just no matter really where you fall in that, um, discussion, it's just, it's encouraging either way. Yeah. And it's so crucial too, right? Like, uh, if you fail to distinguish, like Colhoun was saying, between the law and the gospel, you lose the gospel. If if us if you add, like right, that's why we have the Reformation, the five solas. If you add uh, works to salvation, which is what the Roman Catholic Church does, you lose the gospel. It's no longer the true gospel. It's a false gospel. Um, so yeah, the beauty of the gospel sets us free, like you said, John, because it's true. Truth will set you free. Yeah, so Sibs is here going to be expanding on the reality that as believers, our rule is not the covenant of works. We do not work to earn life, which is being under the law. Rather, we work because we have been given life freely and all spiritual blessings through the gospel, which is being under grace. You are either in Adam or in Christ. And if you are in Adam, you are under the law as a broken covenant of works. But if you are in Christ, then you are under grace as a covenant of grace. And on this truth rests the reality of true justification and sanctification. So we're going to jump in. Finally, Kai's going to take us away into the two points uh, from chapter 6 here. And uh, yeah, we'll be reading quotes as we go, go through the chapter. And yeah, we hope and pray that this is encouraging to you guys, our listeners, but also to us as we go through this. Also, Evan, thanks for the little speed, what is it, crash course in covenant theology. Because I didn't understand it very well. And I think I'm starting to get it, but I still need a little help. But I'm beginning to understand its uh, uh, explanatory power. But yes, but... For sure. Yeah, and it... <laughs> it yeah, it, it needs to be rightly... Uh, described mm -hmm. and articulated uh, and yeah like I, I I presume most people listening to this have, have grown up in a uh, dispensational background I did not saying that's heresy I'm just saying yeah it's a it's a perspective that we don't really hear much especially up in Canada uh, but yeah it's a rich one I, I believe it's biblical so yeah, we're going to jump through. And so keeping that in mind that this is the framework that Sibs is working on, working off of uh, in this chapter. Um, yes. And our Zoom meeting has one minute left. So we're going to have to start a, another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll cut out the audio and trim it. But uh... Okay. So the first point of the chapter is our rule is the covenant of grace. And... Sibs begins by saying, We must acknowledge that in the covenant of grace, God requires the truth of grace, not any certain measure. A spark of fire is fire, as well as the whole element. 
Therefore, we must look to grace in the spark as well in the flame. All have not a strong, though they have a precious faith. A weak hand may receive a rich jewel. Mm. Oh, so good. So good. Spurgeon, uh, Spurgeon's got a nice quote that I've always thought summed like that concept up really well. It's like, you know, it's kind of similar to this like concept of object versus quality of faith, um, which is something that I've taken a good amount of time to, you know, study and figure, you know, how much of this is wishful thinking and us desiring to, you know, say, oh, like I can have weak faith, you know, because there's some people who rest in weak faith, which is not what you want. But, um, you know, Spurgeon says a weak faith is a saving faith. And that weak faith that you have, though it may be little, it will save you. Um, and, you know, that's something that we see even in the Exodus, I think, is one of the first times that you really see that. Um, you know, that it's not it's not written out in Scripture in the same way that, you know, you could see it. Um, there's, a, there's a man, D.A. Carson, who... He kind of puts a little story to the Exodus and he says, you know, all they had to do was put the blood on the door frame. It wasn't, did they do it with more faith than the person next door and that person was saved rather than the other, but it was both people would be saved um, regardless of the strength of their faith. It was they were trusting God with the faith that they had. Um, hoping and praying and trusting that he would be faithful because they trusted his character. And, you know, one of them may have been more confident than the other, and one might have sat there very comfortable waiting for the Passover, and the other one might have been cowering in the corner, but they both yeah. trusted and both were safe. Yeah, and, and I love that, the the reality of the Passover, because that it's a type of Christ. Mm. It's a type of Christ. Um, that if we have the blood of the Lamb sprinkling that has sprinkled our consciences clean and cleansed us and we've been regenerated by the lamb through faith the, the destroyer angel will pass over us like we there's no wrath left for us and uh that's that's a beautiful uh example of biblical uh typology the shadow which points forward to the reality of christ um, and even in that type, you see that, yeah, it's still the object of your faith, not the quality. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Kai, you want to jump forward to the next quote? Yeah. Is this another point? This think? is a separate quote, yeah. And then there's a couple okay, points yeah. down here. Yeah, but Sibs goes on to say, What is the gospel itself but a merciful moderation? in which Christ's obedience is esteemed ours and our sins laid upon him, wherein God, from being a judge, becomes our father, pardoning our sins and accepting our obedience, though feeble and blemished. We are now brought to heaven under the covenant of grace by a way of love and mercy. Mm. And Sibs, is, he's really trying to hammer this point down. And you see it through the whole book, is that uh, the father or God the Father, uh, it, he's no longer primarily, like, he's not a judge for us. He's not a, He's not going to execute his just wrath and anger against us anymore. Like, when we've come into the covenant of grace, God the Father becomes a, a true father, where all he does for us is in love. 
There's no anger. There's not a single drop of anger. There's a huge difference. And I think so many Christians today don't understand this. There's a huge difference between punishment and discipline. There's no punishment left for Christians. It's only discipline, loving discipline. Uh, It's the father's rod that comforts us. And yeah, that's a beautiful thing here. How in the covenant of grace, because the father poured out his wrath on Christ and Christ earned, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the terms of the covenant of redemption so that he could bring us into the covenant of grace. It's now by a way of love and mercy and not by works. So any sinner, a filthy sinner, anyone can go to Christ and have their their sins forgiven. Like none who go to Christ will be rejected. And I don't mean to be a devil's advocate here, but you know, how much, how, uh, and maybe this, I could ask for your both opinions on this, but how much would we, um, how much would we go to the fact that, you know, we could still see the covenant of grace as a partial covenant of works because it was fulfilled by Christ's works. You know, it was right. So that's, that's the distinction between the covenant of redemption and the covenant mm-hmm. of grace. Right. And that's right. Like, amen. The covenant of redemption was the covenant between the father and the son, whereby the son actually fulfilled the terms of the covenant of works, mm-hmm. which is perfect in a perpetual obedience. So really salvation is by works, just not our works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right. Like that's what you're trying to hit at right, John. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, if throughout the, the old covenant, um, and we could talk about Adam, you know, the, the establishment that God had with Adam in the garden was based on works. It was based on yeah. Adam's obedience and that was fulfilled in Christ, which was, which caused God to see him as righteous because Christ was righteous. And Amen. when Christ's righteousness, which was by his works is imputed to us, we therefore have his righteousness but it's the mm-hmm. grace that gives us that righteousness because we don't deserve to have someone else's righteousness put on us. Mm-hmm. And I love that. The more you understand about the second Adam, the more you'll understand about the first Adam. And the mm-hmm. more you'll understand about the first Adam, the more you'll understand about the second Adam. And uh, yeah, and that's the, the reality of justification. Kai, do you want to read uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21? Sure. Hold on. And this is the covenant of grace in this verse which verse are we going to second Corinthians I had it five. I had it on the notes here but you can pull it up oh that's okay I forgot. but it says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God mm-hmm. and also like just think about that for a second yeah mm. like that's like our sin was imputed to him Mm-hmm. And his righteousness was imputed to us, mm-hmm. holy of grace. <laughs> I can't remember who said it. He said, I, "Someone said, and I, I've always remembered this. He became what he was not, so that we could become what we were not. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have been able to become what we what we needed to be to be saved. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it, we don't even have the ability to have faith." Like faith mm. is a gift, like it's Ephesians giving. two eight and nine. It's it's not something we can produce. 
it's something that God gifts us in the covenant of grace. He regenerates us and then he gifts us faith and repentance. So even that, there's no boasting. There's zero boasting in the covenant of grace. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's so humbling to, to look up. It's kind of like, like laying at the feet of the cross and just looking up and like just seeing the love of Christ. And yeah, it, it, we need to remind ourselves of this like every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also I also wanted to read another verse that's kind of complementary to what Second Corinthians five twenty one that I've been I I hadn't known about this verse until recently. So I'll share. We love complementarianism. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amen. So it's it's Colossians three one to five, and it says, "If you have been raised with Christ, seek to think things that are above, where Christ mm-hmm. is seated at the right hand of God." Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ Mm. in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I just like that Mm. image, like, because Christ is right hand of the Father, and then we die with him, our life is hidden with him. And then Mm. when Christ, who is our life, is, like, revealed finally, that's, we're revealed with him right next to the Father. Mm. It's just like... Yeah. I like that image. It's like, yeah, that's the that's the doctrine of justification, right? Let me read this. This is from, this is from the sixteen eighty nine, uh, Confession of Faith, chapter eleven, paragraph one, and oh man, I could just I could read this every. I'm gonna read this every day. Just kidding, but it it is so beautifully written and just yeah, just listen to this, quote, those whom God effectually calls, He also freely justifies. Not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness. And here's here's what we were just talking about. But by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is the gift of God. End quote. And I love that. It's, uh, it, it's the doctrine on which the church either stands or falls. I don't know who said that, but that I, I think the church historian coined that quote. Yeah no clue who it was but yeah if you can understand this reality if you trust in this reality that you are justified before a holy god by faith alone not of works um, and you cling to christ as your only hope like you are saved and you can take assurance in your salvation john what what would you say is the most sweet part of having assurance of salvation especially Mm -hmm going through a period of time where uh and i hope you're okay with me saying this but going Mm. through a period of time with doubt and uh struggling with assurance what would you say is one of the sweetest things to you uh when you have assurance of faith and assurance of salvation i think the interesting thing about going through a, a, a stage of doubt whether it's doubt about you know the the truths of scripture or the truths of your own salvation, your own faith, 
you know, because sometimes you can go through a period where you aren't doubting scripture itself, but you're doubting your own confidence in scripture and whether or not it's the right kind of confidence that you need. Um, or you might be doubting the authenticity of, of scripture. But as you go through that battle, it's interesting to see how that battle reveals your own state before God. You know, mm. there's times when, you know, I, I was fighting, you know, there, I was, there was a period this summer, even when I was surrounded by unbelievers who were giving me all these questions and I didn't have the answers to them. And even though they didn't necessarily cause me to doubt scripture, I didn't have the answers. And so I lacked confidence in certain things, but it's as I fight through those times and I pray to the Lord to keep me, it shows me where my hope is found and who my confidence is in because I'm trusting that he will carry me through. Um, and it's really cool to see how those times kind of solidify your confidence that God is causing me to run to him mm. because otherwise I, if he wasn't holding on to me, I would have run away a long time ago. I wouldn't be trusting in him to give me uh, faith and answers. Um, and that kind of confidence will carry you through those times of doubt because you know I'm God's child and I can keep going to him and he will help me get through this no matter how dark it seems because mm. the Lord will keep those uh, who he has saved. Amen. And I like how you lose that or not lose. You use that uh, like contrast and analogy with like fighting. Uh, and mm. it reminded me like, as you were saying that like before Christ before, or sorry, before we were in Christ, we were dead spiritually. Mm. And the fact that there's a fight, like a dead man can't fight. Well, yeah, even a Sip dead man says that can't spiritually fight, right? Like uh, when you have been given a, a true life, uh, the evidence of you fighting and trusting mm-hmm. is evidence of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and only the only way that true life is found is through the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Kai, do you want to? Uh, let's move on now. Let's. Let's. Uh, Kai, do you want to read the next uh, quote? Yes. I'll read, I love reading. Um, this is a beautiful one. Sib says, It will prove a special help to know distinctly the difference between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, between Moses and Christ. Moses, without any mercy, breaks all bruised reeds and quenches all smoking flaxes. For the law requires personal, perpetual, and perfect obedience from the heart, and that under a most terrible curse, but gives not strength. It is a severe taskmaster like Pharaoh's, requiring the whole tail of bricks and yet giving no straw. Christ, on the other hand, comes with blessing after blessing, even upon those whom Moses had cursed, and with healing balm for those wounds which Moses had made. Mm. And yeah, I like, I this image is so good, but I remember I've been reading Matthew a lot lately, and like, Matthew is like, when you read the Old Testament, you read Matthew, like Matthew's trying to say like Christ is the new Moses and he does that in like so many parts. But in one of the ways it's like Moses goes up the mountain and from God he gets these stone mm. tablets and what does he have? He brings the law. But Christ goes up the mountain with his disciples and out of his mouth comes blessings. And it's mm. no, no more law, it's just gospel. And I just I just love that image and it's been super helpful. And that's like, that's the importance of distinguishing between uh, the law as the covenant of works and the gospel as a covenant of grace. Because mm-hmm. Christ, 
like in Galatians, we read of the law of Christ, but the gospel properly speaking, isn't law, right? It's not law. It's grace. It is you're, you've been brought into this covenant relationship with God, holy of grace, not by law. Um, but in the covenant of grace, there is law to follow, not to earn your life, but to follow because you've been given life. And we're going to talk about that uh, in the next quote, which I'll read here. So Sib says, uh, the law is sweetened by the gospel and becomes delightful to the inner man. And uh, that's Romans 7.22, he quotes. So uh, recently, I just studied Psalm 119 with my young adults group at church. And uh, in the covenant of grace, Psalm 119 becomes the glorious reality for the Christian. If you read Psalm 119, I'm going to read a few of the, the verses here. But you'll see over and over and over again that the psalmist's whole desire and pursuit is to delight in the word of God, to delight in keeping the law of God. And we must distinguish he wasn't keeping the law of God to earn righteousness before God, but he was keeping the law of God because he had been given eternal life. And it it was his way of showing love to God. Um, so yeah, actually, Kai, do you want to just read through these, these, uh, is it three, four, five verses from Psalm 119, sure. just uh, starting in verse two. Yeah, so think so... as Kai reads this, think, uh, in the covenant of grace, we've been saved. We've been justified, adopted. Now we're being sanctified. Uh, this should be our battle cry as Christians. So go ahead. Mm. So verse 2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 14, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. And verse 20, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And it goes on and on and on and on. Oh, that's not part of the verse. But <laughs> I was like, well, I just, I was getting into the pattern. Huh? But, but yeah, so, and that's, that's the reality of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Uh, the greatest evidence that you are in the new covenant of grace is that you delight in obeying God's law out of love. Did Christ not say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? Um, and again, that's not legalistic friends. Uh, most people hear that and they think legalism, they think that's, that's, that's not gospel. That's law. Mm. Well, no, it's because of the gospel that we can follow God's law. Um, it's because of the gospel that we can actually delight in God's law and follow his law eternally. Think about it for all eternity. We are going to be free from the ability of sinning the, the we're, we're going to be free from all sin yet we will eternally follow god's law without deviating from it with a single drop it'll be perfect obedience uh because we've been united with christ and we will lose uh christ as we'll see at the end of this chapter like christ will kill and finally abolish our flesh and we'll just be left with uh the reality of our union with Christ. And uh, yeah, that's the hope that we have right there. 
Yeah. I feel like another thing that I've kind of like noticed or somebody pointed out to me recently, but like the great commission that ends like Matthew, where Jesus says like, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always. And it's almost like, like there's, that's in the same sentence, like, Mm. teach them to obey all that I command you and behold I am with you always so it's like mm. as a disciple of Jesus a way to be with him is actually orienting your way around like the way he told you to live so it, amen yeah. and that's that is by definition what abiding in Christ is mm. abiding in Christ you read in John 15 John 8 I think is there too abiding in Christ in the same context is is kind of like walking, as it says in Galatians, I think, walking in step with the Spirit. Not in like a mystical, charismatic way, but by following God's law, you are walking in step with the Spirit. And you are abiding in Christ as He's producing these good works uh, in us for His glory as we live for Him. Charismatics, we love you. Don't worry. Uh, we love some of you. Some of you are false teachers. I think, actually, there's a difference between <laughs> ca- charismatics and uh, I shouldn't have done this. Pentecostals. But, uh, or continuationists. That's another topic. Though. But, uh, we love all of them, though. We love do, we do love everybody. Love thine enemy. Right. Oh, my word. But flee from false teachers. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> What did we just end on? Wi-Fi. Okay, we're back. We're back. Okay. Um, what was the, what? What did we just end on? Um, we ended on false teachers suck. No, before that. Oh, the Great Commission. Uh, yeah, in the Great Commission, we see both there, like, the, within the gospel, within the covenant of grace, Christ says that we need to obey all that he's taught us to obey, right? Well, and um, I think, like, the other side of that is when we're talking about just our own lives as Christians, it's not necessarily just when we're trying to observe um, the covenant of grace, but when we're and trying to understand it, but it's also, you know, how do I see my, my, my life as being an example for Christ? And when we're, you know, when we're talking about things like assurance of salvation and that kind of thing, it's, you will abide and you will bear fruit in certain capacities at different times, but it will happen because not just that you're a follower of Christ, but that Christ is in you. You know, if Christ is in you, he can't hold himself back from doing his work in the world and he's the king of our heart right like exactly and there's rule. you know you can't serve two masters because mm-hmm. if if christ is in you then you won't serve sin and you mm-hmm. will serve christ and you will serve the father in everything that you do and so you know when we're looking at our own hearts it's important to to say you know when we're dealing with things like assurance of salvation and when we're in are moments of discouragement. I have seen Christ working in me. I know that I am abiding and that fruit is being born um, and Christ is in me. Amen. And it's our trust in the faithfulness of God 
it's not trusting in our faithfulness. Mm-hmm. It's trusting in his faithfulness because yeah. he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And that is a, that is a covenantal promise. That's not for everyone. That's only for new covenant Christians. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Um, Sibs goes on and he says this, and he says, there is no mere darkness in the state of grace but some beam of light whereby the kingdom of darkness does not wholly prevail. And I love that. That builds off what John was saying earlier, how even in these seasons of doubt and uh, weakness, there is light. First uh, John 3, 9 says that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, uh, context there is a little bit it's not simple it's not saying like if you sin you're not saved it's like if you if you're making if you're willfully neglecting christ and continuing in willful sin uh rebelling against god um, that's evidence that you're not saved because the true christian struggles with sin and the fact that we struggle and hate it is evidence of our salvation the true christian isn't free from sin in this life He's free from the dominion of sin. And uh, yeah, though Christians may look dark on the outside for seasons, the spark of grace in them shall not be quenched. It shall prevail. Christ will rule in our hearts and he will sanctify us because he's promised to. Yeah. Mm. I'm paraphrasing a John Piper quote here, but um, I love my man, JP. Um, Some it's, this is referencing those times of darkness when you are weak and you are unsure of yourself and you're, um, you're struggling and you're discouraged. Um, and sometimes the darkness seems greater than the light, but the light is and it not, does at times. Yeah. And the lights, but the light's not gone. And, um, the, the, kind of paraphrased memory that I have of this quote is sometimes the clouds of darkness are so thick that they cover the light of the sun to the point where we despair that it will never return. But as God's children, we can hold on to the promise that in due time, God will part the clouds and help us to see clearly again. And that's, mm. you know, just Jude one twenty four. you know, he will keep you. He will keep you from stumbling. You're not going to fully be kept from uh, from wrestling and struggling, um, but you won't stumble uh, and fall away if you are God's child. You won't apostatize, yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you read that, he got that from Edwards. I yeah. just finished reading The Religious Affections, and that sounded very similar to a part. Oh, in, it totally is, yeah. In The Religious Affections, yeah, uh, which is cool to see. Even John Piper, like, what's this podcast called? The Men of Old. Even men like John Piper, he looked back. He looked back at the Puritans and at men, and he gleaned wisdom from them. And I don't know about you guys, but personally, from in this journey of looking back to these older men um, and, and studying their works, it has been such an encouragement, and it has it has. God has used them to launch me to the scriptures and to have a zeal and a passion for Christ that uh, 
wasn't kindled in the same way before. Uh, mm. So anyways, that's a side note, but I just, I love that, that, uh, I love that analogy or that connection there. That's, that's, uh, that's all we have for, for the first point. That was long, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, our rule is the covenant of grace. Uh, we'll summarize it at the end, but let's move on to the second point. Uh, so the second point here in this, in the chapter is the presence of heavenly fire. And he's going to explain and expand on this, uh, on the, the, the reality of a spark of faith in us, even the, the reality of being a faintly burning wick is a reality of true faith and of true, uh, heavenly fire. So what we're going to do here is we're going to, uh, there's 10 points, uh, T- 10 like yeah sub points within the second point of this chapter and we're just going to read uh i'll read the first one kai will read the second one john will read the third one and we'll keep rotating all the way to the bottom we're going to read the point and just talk about it quickly and then move on so the first one sib says if there be any holy fire in us it is kindled from heaven by the father of lights who commanded the light to shine out of darkness and he quotes 2 Corinthians 4, 6. What do you guys think of that? I like that part. Because I, th- I think in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he's actually quoting Genesis. So he's making allusion back to Genesis. So just like God said, like he, like, like he created light, he's creating faith like in our hearts. So, mm. monergism. Mm. Amen. Or you got yeah. John six sixty three. Um, oh dear, I don't have it pulled up. But it's um, for the spirit is life. The flesh is no help at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit has to work in you. Any faith that you have, um, be it true saving faith, um, is only from the spirit. You can't just be mm-hmm. like, yo, I've got saving faith now because i want to <laughs> it's yeah, we don't produce it right yeah, yeah it's it's the spirit that gives it to us amen john 1 uh 12 says this but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god and i love that that god plants the seed of faith in us he waters it he grows it and he perfects it and he holds on to it um and yeah that's beautiful so yeah let's let's go into the second point yeah and the second point is the least divine light has heat with it in some measure so i think what he's trying to say is like just like a fire is a fire like somebody had to light the spark and get the wick burning like so is like faith is faith like you even if you believe in God, like, a little bit or a lot, like, the guy in Mark, like, I believe, like, help my unbelief, you still have mm. belief. You just... Yeah. yeah you're a more. faintly burning wick? Well, you're still a burning wick, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. The fact that you are burning is evidence of divine... It's like God took a lighter and lit the candle, lit the wick. Mm-hmm. And even though it's, like, crackling, God still lit it. He still mm-hmm. lit the flame. Uh, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Want to go to number three, John? Yeah. It says, where this heavenly light is kindled, it directs in the right way. Mm. You know, um, I feel like it's it's funny. It's funny whenever I go to think of a, <laughs> of a quote. Um, 
it's always Spurgeon. Anyways, um, <laughs> he Spurgeon um, highlights that uh, fact. You know the the evidence of um, God having a grip on your heart is you know no no matter how weak your faith is, um, when pressure is applied, um, your heart will always um, go to the Lord, and um, whether that's for confidence or for help um, in weakness or in prosperity, um, your heart has one direction. Mm. Oh yeah, I, it was a Spurgeon who said like. Uh, I actually I don't know, but something came to my mind about like, like it's a one way street, right? Like mm. it's there's no it's one lane, like it's not two lanes, mm-hmm. it's one lane, and it always goes heavenward, which we'll talk about here actually in point nine. But yeah, that's good. So then he says in point four, where this fire is, it will it will sever things of diverse natures and show a difference between such things as gold and dross. And that's the imagery, especially that Peter uses, like when we go through the fiery furnace of affliction, more precious than gold, like the trials in a Christian's life is more precious than gold because God is refining us. And what happens when you put gold into the furnace? It purifies the gold and it comes out. And the same thing with true faith is when a Christian has true faith, when, when they're a faintly burning wick. Uh, this fire will burn and it will it will burn away and eat up sin right like it will conquer sin christ will conquer sin in our lives um and it always comes out purer than it was before as christ sanctifies us um and that's such a that's such a confidence or that's such a thing that creates so much hope in my heart um is the fact that like god is sanctifying me like day by day, as I seek to abide in him, like he is purifying me. And mm. uh, yeah, I just, I love that so much. And I love Christ for that, that he is out of his love for me, growing me. Mm. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No. Move on, Kai. Um. So point five is, so far as a man is spiritual, so far is light delightful to him. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think he's trying to say there? What do you think delightful means here? Like, define delightful, because that's important. How is, like, God's law, for example, delightful to us as Christians? Um, because we know that it honors him to obey and you know when god does that saving work in our heart he opens our eyes to see the value and to use john piper words the supreme treasure and beauty of who jesus is um and that those desires shift we we at one point saw sin as um the thing that we wanted to attain um, for the sake of satisfying ourselves. But when God flips the switch, we see Jesus. And even when we're, when we're a faintly burning wick and we're, we're struggling, um, his beauty 
even when we're feeling distant from him, his beauty keeps drawing us to him. And um, even when we're in such a muddled situation and we feel dark, um, we can't, we don't run back to sin because we know that Jesus is more valuable and we love Jesus more, even if our affections are weak and our, our confidence in him is weak. But who he is objectively in our hearts, we know that he's worth more. Mm. And when we do dabble with sin, Christ disciplines us to show us how lovely he is. Mm. Right? Like he shows us uh, his beauty and he allows us to bask in it. And I love that. Um, and I think also, like, delightful talks about it's like joyfulness, but also happiness. Like, it's actually our joy, and it makes us truly happy mm-hmm. as we are able to obey our Lord and Savior. Um, and if if we are obeying and taking joy and delight in God's Word and obeying Him, that's evidence that we've been given a new nature. Um, and yeah, because it's like if you take a river, uh, if you change the like the stem of where the river's uh, beginning to flow from. And if, if it's filthy, the whole river is going to be filthy. But when God regenerates us and gives us a new nature, he purifies the, the stem of the river, the, where it all flows from. And upon regeneration, we will begin to, like the, the river will be purified and we'll, we'll begin to delight in following God's law as we are going down and through the river which is cool. Alrighty. Um, So going on to point six, um, it says fire where it is present is in some degree active. So basically if you understood point two, you'll understand point six. Amen. A little fire is still fire. Mm -hmm. Yep. Amen. Simple yeah. as that. So let's go I, to I point seven. So. Fire makes metals pliable and malleable. Mm. Mm. What do you think he's getting at here? Mm. I think he's trying to say like, like going along with like the analogy of fire. Like when we have faith, it like makes us, it like corrects us in a way. Like, it makes us more easy to, like, change the way we live. Mm. It kind of loosens us up. Yeah, he says right after that, So grace, where it is given, makes the heart pliable and ready to receive all good impressions. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, I like this next point. Let's go on. Fire, as much as it can, sets everything on fire. <laughs> Thanks, Sims. <Amen. laughs> Appreciate it. Like, you ever had, you ever had like a nice bonfire? You got like a picnic table in the pirate in the in the pit. You got some lattice. You got some gasoline, and you'll notice that when you light it up, it wants to put everything else on fire. Like it just explodes. And while that might happen in a small, small degree or a large degree. Fire, fire's passion and purpose is always to grow. Mm. And uh, as a faintly burning wick, we will grow as the fire s- extends itself and yeah. and conquers 
uh, our flesh. Mm-hmm. I like I like what Sib said, so I'm gonna read a chunk from it. But he says, uh, like referring to fire, like grace as the fire. Like grace also makes a gracious use even of natural and civil things and spiritualizes them. Mm. What another man does only in a civil way, a gracious man will do holily. Whether he eats or drinks or whatever he does, he does all to the glory of God, making everything serviceable to that ultimate end. Mm. Amen. Everything that we do as Christians is to be done to the glory of God. Mm. Um, Things that are even recreational, uh, which once would have just been enjoyed in a simply creational sense where we just enjoyed the creation for the sake of creation is now Mm. all of a sudden being enjoyed. And it's like looking back to God. C.S. Lewis once said that if you take... Uh, like the pleasures of God's creation. Think of it as a shed, a dark shed with a hole in the roof, and there's a beam of light going through into this dark shed. And if you're standing at the door of the shed, you just look at the the beam of light, you say, wow, that's so cool. Look at that. That's awesome. But when you go into the beam of light and you look back up through it, through the hole and see the sun shining through it, you see God in the beam of light. In all that God has created, you can enjoy God in the creation, which you wouldn't have been able to do before. But now that we're in Christ, we can see Christ's glory and love and beauty, even Mm. in creation, because the creation reflects the creator. Mm. And I love that. Mm. Uh, Next point. Uh, Fire. This is point 10. Wait, no. Nine. Oh, Nine. sorry, we're doing... Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, you're I see... cut. You're, you're cut, John. Yeah, I know, no I know. More. I'm fired. <laughs> I'm fired as a guest. <laughs> Last <day. laughs> Um Sparks, by nature, fly upwards. Oh, I love that. So hmm. good. That's kind of similar to that, like, idea of, you know, a heart that's been born of God. It has that one direction, you know. Mm-hmm. And when God puts those sparks of faith in you, their natural desire isn't going to be like, oh, this spark that came from God is now going to be attracted to the worldly things. It's like, that's not how it works. God puts godly things in your life. And when he puts faith in your heart and it's from him, it can only return back to him Amen. with praise and oh. trust this is so good he says this right after sparks by nature fly upwards so the spirit of grace carries the soul heavenward and sets before us holy and heavenly aims as it was kindled from heaven so it carries us back to heaven goodness is exactly i didn't even read that part <laughs> <laughs> I, so I skimmed that part of the chapter <laughs> yeah um, yeah which is and it's just that assurance and comfort in the fact that like like we're not you know what's fun the funny thing about fire is that th- the sparks go upward by themselves like and what I mean when I say that is that it's not like our uh tendency to do godly things stems from us like they naturally glorify god when 
they happen. Like when we are sanctified, like naturally, it is our joy and our desire of our heart to send them upwards. Um, mm. And it's and it's by the grace of God in us that they go upwards. It's not by our flesh working, legally speaking, to get them to go up. Like they naturally go up. Same with good works in us. When, when, when good works are produced by the Spirit in us, mm-hmm. when God is working under our will to will for his good work and to will for his good pleasure, they naturally fly upwards. Uh, and yeah, that's a comfort that you can take. When you see your heart directed towards heaven, it means you've been given a heavenly heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Slap Kai, that you want on to tackle the last one? Mm. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yes. The final point is fire, if it has any matter to feed on, enlarges itself and mounts higher and higher, and the higher it rises, the purer is the flame. Mm. And I think it... Sorry, I was just going to say quick. Also, like adding to that, you know it's purer because what? How do you know? The color of the flame changes. Mm. like as god grows the flame there's even evidence in the flame itself that it's growing (laughs) Mm. even more so than just the size of it just by the color you can tell the 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 flame is hotter which is cool same Mm. with our faith Mm. you were gonna say something kai yeah i'm not sure if what i was gonna say is smart but (laughs) i remember like I was thinking earlier about this, kind of how, like, thinking of Spurgeon, he talks about how uh, he compares, like, when they built the second temple, which was smaller than the first temple, and everybody was sad, and, like, oh, no, it's small, it's not going to be as useful, but it's, like, at the end of the day, just, like, faith, like, it's still a temple, and you can use it, and, Mm. like, it just, I think it's kind of, like, a good analogy, like, Mm. It's, at the end of the day it is a temple but as like your faith grows it gets bigger and like more people can go in it and it's more useful and I think that's kind of what Sibs is saying like faith is effective and like it does the job that it is required to do in any like amount but the bigger it gets like the better at the end mm. of the day and it's not again like it's not like the more faith we have it's like we've earned it like it's all grace it's all of grace and i also i like that temple analogy too because now the church is the temple like christ himself is the temple and the church is the body of christ um and the temple's not confined to a specific location anymore like the time has now come where we worship the lord in spirit and in truth and it doesn't matter what mountain you're on what valley you're in you can worship the lord and see the the flame of your faith grow mm. wherever you will be. Yeah. So, uh, uh, John, why don't you go ahead and read the conclusion quote and mm. then we'll summarize the two points and we'll read a prayer from the Valley of Vision. Sounds fantastic. In the work of sanctification, though Christ favors his work in us, He does not favor sin in us, for he will never take his hand from his work until he has taken away sin, even in its very being, from our natures. The same spirit that purified his holy human nature cleanses us by degrees to be suitable to do, wait, 
to so holy a head, and frames the judgment and affections of all to whom he shows mercy to concur with his own in laboring to further his end of abolishing sin out of our natures, not in this life, but finally in the one to come. <laughs> and I mean, that's just Romans <laughs> right there. <laughs> Those whom he has called um, predestined, justified, we're getting glorified. Be conformed it's a to golden the image chain. Of the it's a golden mm. chain of salvation. Got you. You love to see it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I just love that imagery. That like, <laughs> think of the zeal that Christ has for his the temple. Like, remember, he goes into the temple. He flips the, uh, the market. They were making a uh, God's temple into a marketplace, pretty much. And Christ comes in mm. and says, "No." This is a holy place because the temple symbolized God's dwelling and where God dwells, uh, holiness is to be. Mm-hmm. And I was reading in Second Kings this morning, uh, Jehu, if that's how you say his name, he came in and he had so much zeal for the Lord. He had a servant come alongside him and he said to the servant, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And he came, he went into Israel or yeah, the name the kingdom of Israel, the Northern kingdom. And he had, he, uh, he pretty much had to assassinate and kill the wicked rulers and people to purify God's dwelling place. Um, which is the same, which is the type of Christ that Christ will come and he will with holy zeal purify us because he dwells in us and where he dwells, he will have us to be holy at whatever cost. Um, and yeah, I just love that assurance that we have in the covenant of grace that he will abolish sin uh, and he will do it as the infinite God who will have his way and he will be glorified and make us holy. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, so yeah, Kai, do you want to read the summary of the two points and then uh, I'll read the prayer and we'll we'll call it a, call it a night sure. or a day morning whenever you guys are listening to this yeah for us it's a night but tonight i think you can tell we sound pretty tired maybe we'll see we'll see but the last to summarize the first point was uh, our rule is the covenant of grace so we must distinguish between the law and the gospel the law as a covenant of works and the gospel as a covenant of grace As Christians, our hope is not in our works, it is in Christ's works. So we work not to earn life, but because Christ has given us true life. And the second point, the presence of heavenly fire. In the covenant of grace, there are Christians who are termed faintly burning wicks. These wicks, though they only have a spark of grace, have heavenly fire burning within them. The presence of this heavenly fire is assurance of the presence of Christ fire is fire Mm. amen so yeah we hope you've been encouraged through this episode we've been yeah i i've enjoyed this greatly and i think i've grown through this just it's it's humbling to it's humbling and encouraging to speak of the gospel to speak Mm. of the truth of what christ has done for us and i don't know about you guys but it just it gives like a a zeal that's like a fresh 
that just I want to honor and serve Christ and just to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, so yeah, we hope that's that's been true for uh, both Kai, John, but also all of our listeners. So I'm going to go ahead and read. This is a prayer from the Valley of Vision, page 110. It's called Amazing Grace. I'm just going to read a couple little snippets of this prayer. Let's pray. O thou giving God, my heart is drawn out in thankfulness to thee, for thy amazing grace and condescension to me, in influences and assistances of thy spirit, for special help in prayer, for the sweetness of Christian service, for the thoughts of arriving in heaven, for always sending me needful supplies, and for raising me to new life when I am like one dead. I want not the favor of man to lean upon, for thy favor is infinitely better. I love as a feeble, afflicted, despised creature to cast myself on thy infinite grace and goodness, hoping for no happiness but from thee. Give me special grace to fit me for special service and keep me calm and resigned at all times, humble, solemn, mortified, and conformed to thy will. We thank you, Lord Jesus for just the reality of the covenant of grace. And I pray that you would go before both myself, John and Kai this evening and all of our listeners, wherever they may be. Yeah. And I just ask that you would have them to meditate on the gospel uh, and to glorify you. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the men of old podcast. Please tune in next time for more edifying content from the great cloud of witnesses so that we may continue to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith.